Well, I'm very, very pleased to be with you. I hear very exciting things about this church. Um, I hope you hear them as well. You're encouraged in your step of faith. You know, you look quite a, you look quite wonderful. Some of you look a bit uneasy. Do you feel uneasy? Um, you shouldn't feel uneasy at all, should you? Because you're with people who, who really, really care about you. And, and you're here. And the amazing thing is that you are here. But the, also the amazing thing is who you are. And uh, you're an amazing group of human beings. And as you look around the room, um, allow yourself, you don't want to embarrass anyone, but there are people sitting beside you. Maybe you know them, maybe you don't know them, but you are aware of their physicality beside you. You know if they're small, large. You know what age range they might be. Don't stare at them. <laughs> and you're just so aware that in, in many ways you're the same, but in many ways you are so very, very different. Your appearance is different. Perhaps your attitude is different. Perhaps, um, perhaps your ability is different to theirs, or you think your ability is different. Your aspirations may be different. But I understand that on average, each of you speak about 5,000 words a day. Is that right? People I work with, uh, some of them speak a lot less and some of them speak a lot more. But apparently, on average, a human being speaks or can speak about 5,000 words a day. The average human being also, which includes some of us, can fall asleep on average about in about the space of seven minutes. So I've only two left. <laughs> the average person, your heart beats about 30 million times a year, which seems to me an extraordinary, um, most wonderful thing. And the average person apparently on, on each fingertip you have a hundred little receptors which send communications to the rest of your body. So you've got a hundred, so you've got 500 here, and you've got, you've got a thousand receptors in your fingertips. And of course, I'm sure you know that the strongest muscle in your body, do you know what the strongest muscle in your body is? I mean, look at my body, right? <laughs> now, my son has just gone to big school and he has to play rugby because that's what you're supposed to do, right? Now, obviously, I was built to be a rugby player. <laughs> and therefore, my son, you would imagine, was built to be a rugby player. Now, which is the strongest muscle in my body? Take a look. It's my tongue. My tongue is the strongest muscle that I have. We are quite amazing. You are quite amazing. You don't realize how amazing each of you are. You may have all kinds of uh, ideas about what you would like to be, what you would like to look like, and maybe some things the way you don't like the way you look or the way you feel, but you are an amazing person. And the people around you are unbelievably amazing. The people you live with, the person you married, the person you're going out with, 
person, people you teach, all those little people you teach, they are amazing human beings. I'm going to plant four things about them that come from the psalm that we read and also from Genesis. Firstly, we're amazing because we're made by the God who is unmade. We are created by a God who is not created. And that is immensely important because this psalm tells us that this God who made us is uncreated. He's infinite. He's eternal. He's powerful. In fact, the power of God is total. It talks about the knowledge of God being complete, that God knows everything. That God knows everything without having to learn anything. That God knows everything equally well. That God never discovers anything that he does not know. And that is the God who made us, the God who is unmade. The God who created you, the God who created every single person here is that God. He has perfect self-knowledge. He knows himself and he knows you. That psalm says that he knows your thoughts. He knows when you sit. He knows when you walk. He knows when you come in. He knows when you get out. He knows every single thing about you. Nothing is unnoticed. Nothing is forgotten. Nothing is hidden. It also says that that God who made you is a God who is present everywhere. Whether I go to the heights, now there are three basic things in the psalm. You'll notice that it says, if I go up or down, if I go to east or west. No matter what direction I go, you are there. That God is present everywhere. The God who made you knows you absolutely, completely. That can be disturbing. But it also can be encouraging. If he knows everything, then... I can hide nothing. If he knows everything, then nothing is a surprise to him. But that God who made you is also a God who is everywhere. God is present everywhere. And that God is there even when I am humanly alone. When I am at my loneliest, when I am in my room, when I am walking, when I am feeling lonely in church, when I feel that no one really gets to me or understands me or cares about me, that God is present. He is there when I think He isn't. And He is there when I wish He wasn't. God is there when I wish in my life there wasn't a moral God looking at what I do and what I think, but He is. He is there when I'm sorely tempted. He is there when I'm sorely tempted with my finger to place that finger on a website forbidden by holiness. He is there when I'm seemingly in a position where I feel caught by bad practice in business that seems inescapable, but he is there with me and sees what I will do. 
He is there when a gossip draws you in. You feel repelled. You feel attracted. The power of attraction overcomes the repelling. And suddenly you're in the midst of a conversation and learning things about another person you wish you never, ever knew. God is there. He is there when you are badly stressed. He is there when others forsake you. You are made by the God who is unmade. And that God knows everything about you and is with you everywhere you are. The psalm also says that God is all-powerful. That God is omnipotent, all-powerful. And so that God who is present, that God who is knowing, has power. Now in the West, we have talked for centuries about these three things. The knowledge, the presence, and the power of God. It is when those three things are pushed If God knows me inside, out, and outside in, then how should I live today and how should I behave at the end of this service? If God is present everywhere, including this room, if God is all-powerful, this is the God who made you You are incredible, incredible human beings. With an incredible God. And so our phrase comes. In the midst of this psalm in verse 14. Within this idea of thinking about the power of God. David is thinking about the power of God. In the formation of who he is in the womb. And his response to the power of God in the womb. Is to say. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You are unbelievably wonderful. And so is every single person that comes here. All those people who aren't here this morning, who were here last week or will be here next week, they're equally wonderful. All those people who will come into the realm of what is now Grace Fellowship are equally wonderful. They may cause you headaches. They may not look like you. They may not dress like you. But they are equally wonderful. Because they are made by the God who is unmade. The second thought I had was that... Going to Genesis, made by the God who is unmade, but made in the image of that God. Now, what does that mean, made in the image of that God? The phrase, in the image of God, appears only three times in the Bible. Genesis 1, 26, 1, 27, and 5, 1. It appears without any explanation at all. It just says, image of God. 
It doesn't try to explain it. And therefore, the original idea, obviously, is that the people who would hear this would actually understand what this meant. But the problem was that the theologians and the writers over the centuries afterwards didn't understand what this meant. And so volumes and libraries of stuff are written on the phrase, what does it mean to be in the image of God? Because what it means to be in the image of God actually shapes how you see yourself. And therefore how you treat yourself. How you look after that body. How you feed that mind. How you build that spirit. But it also affects how you treat other people. So the phrase is important. So what does it mean? Well, people have said it means rationality. The difference between a human being and the rest of the animal world is that we have the ability to think. Theologian Augustine originally put this forward. It all sounds good because you can see a distinction there. Rationality and ability to think. The problem comes, of course, when you discover that people have a, some people have a greater ability to think than other people. Some people find the cognitive process incredibly difficult. People with learning disabilities find it very, very difficult. My daughter finds it very difficult to think the way I think. I find it extremely difficult to think the way she thinks. But I wish I could. I really wish I could. I wish I could stop analyzing the world and just enjoy it. It might be dominion that God has put us over this world. It might be our creativity that God is a creative God and we are creative people. It might be our morality. After all, we have a, a deeply held morality and conscience within us. It might be relationship. It might be all of these things. But think about it in three understandings, very basic, simple, straightforward understandings. Firstly is uniqueness. It seems to me that the Genesis writer is saying, you are unique in all of creation. As you walk out of this building, whatever height you are, whatever shape you are, whatever way you feel about yourself, you are walking out of this building as a person made by a God who is unmade and made in that image of that God. That's extraordinary. That's extraordinary. We are unique. The phrase itself was used in Egyptian and Mesopotamian ideology, um, mythology as well, to describe it was used primarily or solely actually of priests and gods in those cultures. So when it was used, it was the image of God in the priest or the image of God in the God. What Genesis does, it democratizes the term and say, no, it's not just priests. It's not just gods in the corner. It's everybody. You are made in the image of God. You are part of that image and that uniqueness. And if you embrace that, if you... You know, you, tr truth, truth comes to us in a church. A truth comes sometimes from the front, sometimes at the side, sometimes at the back, sometimes over coffee, sometimes here and there. But what you have to do with truth is embrace truth. You have to hold truth. 
and say the truth, I love you and I want you as part of my life. I'm in love with you. And if you embrace that truth, if you allow a sense of the divine image idea, that will transform the way that you look in the mirror. And you look in the mirror and you think, wow, image of God. Me. That helps people a lot, you know, helps people just get a sense of themselves. You go into your work, they put you down, don't they? They push you around. Going to school, they push you around. They tell you, you've got to think this, you've got to go there, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. You know, we have all kinds of experiences which put us down, press us down, press us down. I was told by one of my teachers in school that I would always be useless. And it was drilled into me at school. And obviously, psychologically, it affects me because I've just told you about it. <laughs> but it's not true. So, you've got to think. If you feel really bad about yourself and you're feeling really, you just want to go to pieces, you even want to harm yourself. Whoa, 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 whoa. Image of God. You are the image of God. Whoa. Don't touch the image of God like that. Don't treat the image of God like that. And then the way you see somebody else. Wow. Then to this service, take a look. You know, don't embarrass them unless you really want to embarrass them. Take a look at them and think, wow, you're the image of God. That's unbelievable. In fact, that's incredible. In fact, that's, I can't believe it. <laughs> is that guy really right that you're the image of God? And that guy at the back, is he really the image of God? And that guy at the front, that girl over there, they're the image of God too? And that person down in the shop who didn't give me the right change, are they in the image of God? And that teacher who's got it out for me, is he in the image of God? Answer yes. Wow. Can you escape people being in the image of God? Answer no. So uniqueness is one thing, but then totality is another. Seeing people as total people. It's not just part of you that's the image of God. You are the image of God. In fact, some people even go into the whole realm of relationship. It's not just a total person, but it's us, humanity, together. We are all the image of God in relationship with God. These are revolutionary things. These are things to change the church, to change your life, to change the way you are. But what's the importance on the Ability Sunday? Well, the importance is that no one is excluded. You know? Disability. Whatever the cause, it doesn't diminish the dignity of my creation in the image of God. You know, one day you want to see in this church people coming in here, finding it difficult to walk, being pushed in wheelchairs. You need to help them up that hill. You want people to come in here who maybe make a bit of noise because the bit of noise is actually their praise to God. People who are lonely and afraid and families who are worried about the future and what will happen to their children when they die. 
and they find the church loves them and cares for them, will look after them. And the next generation of the church has learned the presence of people with disabilities and they've learned that when those parents die and their children remain in the church, they will take care of them. Wow, made in the image of God, made by a God who's unmade, but thirdly, made fearfully and wonderfully. That what it says. I am made fearfully and wonderfully. Now, I've met some people who are fearful. They're just fearful. They make me feel afraid. They make me feel inhibited. I've met a lot of women like that who make you feel, or make me feel as a man, wow, I need to leave. I've met men like that. Fearfully in the Hebrew, I understand means awe, A-W-E. It means honor and respect. It's actually the same word that is used for the fear of the Lord, fearful, fearing God. Put another way, is that you are outrageously amazing. You are awesome. You're absolutely awesome. Or as my son would say, beast. which I understand is an extreme version of awesome. <laughs> Hyper awesome. Beast. You go home and you say, you are beast. <laughs> and if your wife didn't come with you to church this morning or your husband didn't come, you go home and said, that preacher told me to come and tell me you are beast. <laughs> we are awesome. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. What does wonderfully mean? Well, the word here is distinct, unique, created to be unique and distinct and awesome. God formed you, Isaiah 44, 24. You are his masterpiece, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Put another way, you are outrageously awesome and you are a one-off. I was disturbed yesterday. I went into the library to, uh, to do something, and, and, and the woman there supplies. You know, the libraries give you coffee. The library gives coffee in Balanhenge. They have these coffee machines, but I never understood. They, 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 anyway, I was trying to explain this coffee machine, and she said to me, what's your name? And I wanted to get something out, and she said, I, I haven't got a ticket. So, oh, I can bring you up on the machine. And I thought, oh, right, okay. Um, and she said, I said, what's your name? Ian Dixon. And she said, uh, were you born in July? No. Were you born in? No. I said, how many indexes have you got in this machine? And she said, oh, I've got five or six. In one library? I thought I was the only one. The only name. But I'm the only one of who I am. Even though someone may share my name. So you are unique. Um, there's no one like you. Uh, there's never been anyone like you. In all these centuries, I mean, way back, you know, when there were fighting all these civil wars, way back when they were 
uh, doing all these things in medieval time, way back in the early church, there was actually no one like you at all. Because you hadn't been born yet. And you go into the future, whatever that future is, and you go into the future generations of the church and the future generations of our world, and no one will be born like you. You don't let anyone put you down. You are a one-off. You are amazing. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. No one is excluded. Everyone is fearfully and wonderfully made. Those we humanly categorize as people with disability are wonderfully, fearfully, Made in the image of God who is unmade, who is powerful, who is all knowledgeable. We need to get our act together as a church and lead society and say, you don't look at people through economics and the mathematics of ability. And you don't say abilities plus net contribution equals worth. who we are. It's about who we are, not what we achieve. And so the church is the welcoming place for everyone and every ability because it's made to be that way. And my last thing, made by a God who's unmade, made in the image of that God, made fearfully and wonderfully in the image of that God, and fourthly, made to experience that God. Because that psalm ends, some people struggle over the end, because it goes in and talks about examining your heart and life. And that's important, because the movement of this psalm is very straightforward. First 18 verses say, here is God. And the, the rest of the verses from 19 to 24 say, how will you relate to this God? It moves towards openness with God. It opens up. And what happens is we begin to talk about transparency, about accountability about honesty. You see, when you start to think about God, it's not academic. It's not one of those things that is of the mind alone. When you think about God correctly, it becomes a corrective. You know, if God is all-knowing, then I must, I will, I should, I am going to. If God is all-powerful, then we can there's always a then we, then I. Otherwise, if you say God is powerful, so. And what we have here is he takes his thoughts about God and he relates them to his contemporary situation, to his life situation. And his ongoing relationship with God. 
And he does two things in the psalm, if we're doing an exposition, he does two things. One is he talks about a practice of separating yourself from those who plan and do evil. And you've got to do that. You've got to say, a strategy for removing yourself from those who do evil and plan evil. Have you got one? Have you got one? Have you got that planned? Have you got that worked? How do you separate yourself from those who do evil? And the second thing is a practice of opening yourself to God. And so he prays, search me, O God. Know my heart. Lead me in the way everlasting. Examine me. Touch me. Search me. Each person is gifted with a capacity to experience God in relationship. A person with intellectual or learning disabilities can experience the Spirit of God in their lives, but they may not be able to articulate or explain that experience to you However, the fact they cannot explain it to you doesn't make it any less real. Inclusion is not about necessarily architecture. It's more about attitude. It's more about not a policy statement. It's about a culture. And as a new church, you are entrusted with space. You're entrusted with the task of doing things differently. To begin with people, not programs. To honor the indispensable parts of the body of Christ with spiritual respect and faith that you believe deeply as a church, as a body of people that those with disabilities, learning disabilities, have the capacity for spiritual life and spiritual development. And they have the right to that, as they have the right to any educational or social development, medical development. Churches need to realize that you don't need to make people like us and do things like us and have the same vocabulary and the same articulate ability in order to be a genuine believer in God and experience God in your spirit. It's revolutionary. Ability Sunday turns into ability life. Ability Sunday turns into Ability Church because we're celebrating that we are made in the image of God. That unmade God. We're celebrating that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're celebrating that no one is to be excluded and everyone has the capacity to experience God and they do not need to prove it in any particular formulaic way. I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now just think in your head as we end. There's a person beside you or near you. Just think in your head 
you are made by the God who is unmade. You are made in the image of that God, made fearfully and wonderfully, and made to experience the God who made you. Thank you so much for giving this space. By giving this space this morning, you have honored the indispensable parts of the body of Christ, and you will be blessed for it. But it's the beginning of a journey. And my prayer and my hope is that that you might look at me as the image of the Lord and that I might look at you as exactly the same. I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made.